people who want to know about guns uh, learn about them. As I, as I, that does raise an interesting question though, that I pointed out earlier in the part. We're not talking about um, everybody in America owning a gun. As I said, actually, uh, it's a minority and it's a, and, it's a, and it's a shrinking minority of people. A question about some of those in America who do own firearms, hunters. Hunters use rifles and shotguns for their hunting activities. Why have hunters been so irresponsibly silent on the issue of control of handguns and military-style weapons, which are never used for hunting? I, I, I'd be, the only exception I take to the framing of that question is to call them irresponsibly silent because it, it implies that somehow they have some other obligation that they haven't stepped up to. I would say that it's more a matter of that a louder voice has overridden and in some cases has unduly, for lack of a better word, frightened or concerned hunters and other sports shooters to believe that everything we on this side of the debate do is ultimately aimed at taking away from you your hunting rifle or your shotgun. Um, and as I said earlier, I, that's just um, not so. There is, and I go into great length in the book, and I've done it in other publications, and I'd be happy to do it now. There are some very clear ways to distinguish these military-style weapons from hunting rifles and hunting shotguns. But the blur that the National Rifle Association, the Gun Owners of America, and some other organizations professionally raise makes people who ought to know better frightened. They think, oh, you're not taking my hunting rifle away from me. You're not taking my shotgun away from me. The good news is, I, agree. I have no interest in doing that either. But I can tell you that if we have the time, and, and I have some graphics that I can use, that I use in other contexts, and I use quotes, which I love to do, from the gun industry and the gun press itself. When semi-automatic assault weapons, military-style guns, began to appear in the 1980s, when the Republic of China, for its own internal economic reasons, began to dump AK-47s and SKSs in the United States, the gun industry and the gun riders called them assault rifles and they knew what they were and they knew what the design features were. Now, unfortunately, Congress proceeded to pass a law, the 1994 Assault Weapons Ban Act, that is virtually useless. The people who passed that law I think had almost no understanding of what they're doing, and I say that with all due respect to the Congress of the United States. Um, I hope that answered the question. <laughs> a specific question about the design changes you would advocate in uh, the manufacture of firearms. You listed the illustrations of uh, several other consumer products, for instance, an uh, automobile. The automobile is a complex and has uh, lots of different ways it can be modified and you mentioned safety glass and seat belts. What would be the equivalent of safety glass or seat belts with a firearm? Okay, well this is where you have to hold on to your seat because this is where the chasm starts to separate between people who may have been nodding, yes, I agree with you here. Uh, it starts from several levels, and let me start from the first, which is information systems. We have national injury tracking systems that we use for all other kinds of consumer products. And if there's a power saw that's designed in such a way that it starts because of the design of the product, cutting off workmen's hands or fingers or backs firing and hitting them in the forehead, it doesn't take very long for this injury surveillance system to start picking that up and then it goes to the appropriate agency and they start saying, hey, we got a problem with this specific company and this specific saw and then it's discussions with the company and it's brought back. So the first thing we need to do, which we don't have, 
because for political interest or whatever interest, the people who fear confiscation, registration, taking the guns away have prevented it. We do not have a national injury surveillance system for guns. People often call, come to us, say, well, how many people were killed with a Glock um, pocket rocket last year? And the truth of the matter is nobody has a clue. We know ultimately over time, anecdotally, there are some regional data collection, but we don't have um, national data collection at the refined level you need. So that's the first thing. We need to have in place systems to collect what's called epidemiological data about gun death and injury. The second thing we need, as I talked about, is this independent forum. Look, there's a lot of disagreement in America today about whether handguns are or are not an effective tool for self-defense. I personally think they are not. I personally think they're far outweighed the harm they do from the benefit they do. But there's no independent forum other than people yelling at each other, writing articles, um, and citing statistical data. If we have an agency that can take the arguments from both sides and make decisions, whether it's handguns or assault weapons or whatever, that's a step forward. And finally, yes, there are lots of specific things that I could think that any reasonable kind of product safety commission would do today. There are things called disconnects, magazine disconnects. One of the most common forms of injury, kids, policemen do this. I've even read examples of gun shop owners do this, particularly with semi-automatic weapons where the magazine fits into the butt of the gun. They take the magazine out. They think the gun is unloaded because they don't take the further step of pulling the slide back and, and actually looking to see. Hand the gun to somebody or pull the trigger. The gun is empty. How many times have you read that in the newspaper? Some kid says, I shot him. I thought the gun was empty. Now you can say the kid is stupid and it's the kid's fault. It's a very simple mechanical device that could be mandated. Trigger pull. How many times have you read just in the last several weeks since this mad rush, at least alleged mad rush, to buy guns, some kid, two or three years old, finds a parent's gun and pulls the trigger. Folks, there was a gun designed in the last century, the century before the last, that made it impossible for children to pull the trigger and fire. Why can't we do that? Again, there's basic levels of safety. There is a hunting rifle today that people who follow this closely know. We know it has a design defect. It has killed people, and it continues to be sold, and there's no agency in the United States that has any authority to say, you have to recall this thing, you have to send out notices to people. Instead, we have one lawsuit, we have another lawsuit, we have another lawsuit, and the only way we found about this is that some people got together and said, hey, wait a minute, I heard about this gun, another person heard about that gun. So we need an agency that can say, even from the level of just protecting gun consumers, this gun is a problem, bring it back, fix it, recall it like we do with tires and cars. And then finally, and this is the part where we're going to part company with a lot of people, or some people, I personally believe that the reasonable balance of risk against benefit would tell us that these handguns that have completely changed the profile of guns in America are not doing us the good that the manufacturers purport they, they, they should or are. Now, I want to be very careful about this. I want you to listen to what I say because it's been misrepresented many times. I do not favor confiscation of guns. We've got 60-some million handguns in America today. It would be a serious mistake 
to try to go out and take all those guns away from people. That would certainly invite insurrection. But what I do favor, and I believe that a responsible agency would do, is to stop the manufacture and import of handguns. And then there are lots of ways that we can gradually reduce the impact these guns have in America. People will feel less threatened. Get them out of our society and stop, to me, the clearly demonstrable connection between this explosion of handguns from the 1960s and the doubling of our death and injury rate. You can have a match and burn somebody with it, or you can have a match and a pool of gasoline and throw the match in the pool of gasoline. Folks, the handgun is the pool of gasoline in America today. You, do you find that law enforcement agencies generally support uh, your views on these matters? And is there a relationship between an armed police force and guns among citizens? Um, <laughs> this is a very uh, interesting question for a lot of reasons. Um, I think law enforcement people are just like any other American. Um, many law enforcement people support uh, aggressive gun control, and many don't. I think most of the law enforcement people that we dealt with during the time of the uh, passing the Brady Law for this basic background check that dealt with the classes of people I've talked about, convicted felons, uh, people who've been adjudicated in court as having mental problems, that, to me, that's a no-brainer. Most law enforcement people agreed. Uh, on the question of semi-automatic assault weapons, most law enforcement people agreed, although there was, certainly was, is, and will continue to be division among law enforcement uh, about what to do about it. Uh, I hesitate to generalize. I know people on both sides of the issue in law enforcement. I do think this, however, and it's something that I, I, I think we need to look at because we haven't looked at it as closely as we should. One of the consequences of this increase, the spiral of lethality, has been changes in the level and type of armament that police carry. Police have felt that because the so-called bad guys have these weapons which are now mass marketed, they need to have the weapons. And I document in some detail how from beginning in about the 1980s, police departments, as I said earlier, the National Rifle Association used to call it the American or National Police Revolver Competition. Police, like everybody else in America, thought the revolver was the best type of gun to have. It was handgun. It was, it was reliable, simple to operate. They didn't need anything else. The gun industry deliberately set out to change that so that they could sell more high-capacity semi-automatic pistols. There was a wave. Virtually every police department in America today carries the semi-automatic pistol. And then there was a second wave behind that when the pistols were upgraded from the 9mm, which was, used to be called the Wonder 9, everybody thought that solved all the problems, to an entirely new round that was developed called the 40 Smith & Wesson. My point is that around us, our police departments, for good reason or bad or for whatever reason, have increased the level of their armament because they perceive that they need it to deal with the criminal element. Now, you can have it either way, but you can't have it both ways. Either the gun industry is responsible for raising the level of the firepower of the criminal community so that the police in self-defense and in order to perform their mission have to raise their firepower, or if it hasn't done that, it's needlessly sold police departments all over the country lots of more firepower for an imagined threat. You cannot have it both ways. There's a direct relation between this, and I think it's something that uh, I personally uh, believe has had some consequences. I do not like to see policemen blamed in one of these um, 
high round shootings. And, and we all know there are several. I can name a couple. Amadou Diallo in New York City, uh, a young woman who was uh, sitting in a car in Riverside, California. An enormous, enormous to the layperson number of rounds. 41 rounds were fired at Amadou Diallo. Everybody said the police overreacted. They had poor training. They didn't know what they were doing. Some accused them of being racist. I believe that when you put a firearm, a high-capacity semi-automatic pistol in a person's hand in a moment when they are genuinely in a state that's clinically called mortal fear, it's their life or that life, they're going to empty that gun, folks. And if it's got 19 rounds, that's three plus one times the round of the revolver. And if there are four of them, two of whom emptied their magazines in the Diallo shooting, there are going to be a lot of bullets flying around. I've done some preliminary research and I can tell you that goes on all over the country. It's not because these cops are bad people. It's not because they want to fill somebody with holes. It's because we put in their hands a tool that just naturally and easily does that. We have time for one more brief question, and that is a, a big question. The events of September 11th, how have they affected the gun debate, do you think? Well, they've affected it for both good and ill. I, I think one of the worst things that's happened um, in this debate is that uh, some people, for whatever reasons, and I personally think they're not thinking very clearly, attribute the possibility that there could be a September 11th horrible tragedy to gun control. How they get there, I don't know. I find the logic elusive. Everybody on that plane would have a gun, then we could have a shootout in the sky. Uh, are we going to shoot at envelopes of uh, anthrax that arrive in our office? That's been the bad side. I think the good side has been that most of us, what I think has bonded us together as Americans, and I remember I was in Chicago when that happened, and I took a train from Chicago to Washington. And I looked out the window that night, and I thought, you know what? This country is strong. Its people are diverse. Its people are good. You cannot bring us down. And I think that moment, I know I'm not imagining this because I've talked to so many people. We looked at each other, and we looked at each other as fellow human beings. We put aside a lot of our differences, and we said, it's not worth killing people. I don't think there's been a magic change, but I do think we tend in this country today to listen to people a little bit more clearly and a little bit more carefully. And I hope that um, that has some effect on this debate, which has been so bitter, so divisive, and so unproductive. Thank you, Mr. Diaz.